Sometimes when we sing that, I wonder why I'm up here. We probably just should extend the invitation and let people respond. The message of the gospel is included, and I thank you to the choir, orchestra, and to the congregation for the way in which you have sung it. Well, next week we gather for the most important celebration in Christianity, which is the resurrection of Christ. But before there was a resurrection, there was a crucifixion. Before there was a crown, there was a cross. In fact, the cross is found throughout Scripture. We see glimpses of it. We see pictures of it. All the way back to the Garden of Eden. You recall that God created the Garden of Eden, put man in it, said to man that he was not to eat of the forbidden fruit. When he disobeyed the Lord and did eat, then sin came into the world. And the Bible says that at that time, God slew a lamb to cover the sin of man. And that is a picture of Christ and what he would do, that he would give his life to cover our sin. We see the cross in Egypt when the Passover was established. The Lord said to the Hebrew people, take an unblemished lamb, a lamb without spot, and sacrifice that lamb, take the blood, and put on the doorpost. When the death angel sees the blood, then he will pass over you. And that also is a picture of the sacrifice of Christ, that he shed his blood that the death angel passes over us. The cross is seen in prophecy in the Old Testament. The common way of execution was by stoning. At that time, crucifixion was not practiced. And yet as we look at the prophecies concerning the death of the Messiah, they all point to the cross. Psalm twenty-two, sixteen says, they pierced my hands and my feet which is exactly what happened to Jesus on the cross. Psalm twenty-two, eighteen, and for my clothing they cast lots, which happened to Jesus as he was on the cross. Psalm 69, 21, and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink, which was given to Jesus while he was on the cross. R.G. Lee wrote, Jesus was born with the shadow of the cross upon him. Today we look at the cross. Take your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27. We begin in verse number 33. And when they had come to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they gave him wine to drink mingled with gall, and after tasting it, he was unwilling to drink. And when they had crucified him, they divided up his garments among themselves, casting lots and sitting down. They began to keep watch over him there. And they put up above his head the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. We look at the cross today, the cross of Christ, because we must see the cross before we celebrate the resurrection. And the cross has always been an instrument of division. 
It divides our calendar. Between B.C. and A.D., the cross divides it. I know today in many books, in many classes, that they have begun to use B.C.E. and C.E., before the Common Era and the Common Era. I have talked to some of those asking the question, now we were going along in the B.C.E., before the Common Era, and then we get to the CE, the Common Era. What separated the two? What, what was it? What was that event that caused us to go from BCE to CE? You and I know the answer to that question. It is the cross of Christ. Jesus Christ died, rose again. That is the separation of time. That is the division of the calendar. But the cross has always divided. It has always separated. The covenants, the old covenant, the new covenant, they are divided by the cross. In the old covenant, how was man made right with God? How was man acceptable to God? Well, through sacrifices. It was the sacrifices that were offered that caused man to be right with God. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 11, it says, And every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices. So if man is going to be right with God according to the old covenant, how was man right? Well, through the offering of sacrifices. And we see that demonstrated in the dedication of the temple. The Bible says in 1 Chronicles 29, and on the next day they made sacrifices to the Lord and offered burnt offerings to the Lord. 1,000 bulls, 1,000 rams, and 1,000 lambs with their libations and sacrifices in abundance for all Israel. So the temple then was sanctified by the sacrifice. So how was man made acceptable to God under the old covenant? Through sacrifices. By keeping the law. In Galatians 3.23, Paul wrote, But before faith came, before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to faith, which was later to be revealed. So under the old covenant then, how was man made acceptable to God? What did man do to make himself acceptable to God? It was the offering of sacrifices. It was keeping the law. But then in the new covenant, it is by faith in the crucified and resurrected Jesus. In Galatians chapter 3, verses 21 and 22, For if a law had been given, which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on law. But the scripture has shut up all men under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So there the Apostle Paul writes that if one could actually be made right through sacrifices through the law, then there would be no need for the sacrifice of Christ. There would be no need for the resurrection of Christ. But the scripture says because Jesus died on the cross and was raised from the grave, then we are made right 
by faith in him, those who believe. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, the Bible says. For by grace are you saved. For by grace are you saved. Salvation is through God's grace. For by grace are you saved through faith, as I put my faith in him. Not of works. Not what I do. Not because I deserve it. Not because I'm worthy. Not of works lest any man should boast, because if I could earn it, then I would have something to which I would boast. The scripture metaphorically speaks of the division between the saved and the lost. There is a division, a separation metaphorically between the sheep and the goats. Matthew 25, 32, and all the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. There is the separation. There is the division, the separation between the wheat and the tares. In Matthew 13, 30, and in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. That is a picture of the tares, which was a weed that looked like wheat but was not. There is a separation. There was a separation, a division between rich, the rich man and Lazarus. The Bible says that the rich man died and went to hell and Lazarus died and went to heaven. There is a separation. Now the point of all this is very simply the cross has always been an instrument of division. Still is today. It has always been an instrument of division. There is division but the cross requires a decision. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. There are those who have a negative response to the cross. They see it as foolishness, therefore they reject it. It isn't needed. That would be the religionist. The religionist says that you don't need the cross. Just be religious. And we, we hear that today. It really doesn't matter what your religion is. Just be religious. And that makes you right with God. I remember when I was in college and my professor had spent a lot of time talking about Unitarianism and so forth. And I was young foolish and so one day I lifted my hand and uh, she said uh, yes Mr. Step." I said Dr. Clark does a Baptist have an opportunity to state what he believes she said well what do you believe and I said I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins she dismissed the whole class except me she let everybody leave except me. And she told me how barbaric she thought my beliefs were. I remember very well her saying that is the most barbaric thing I have heard in my life because her belief was that 
just be religious. It doesn't matter what your religion is, just be religious. And that's the thing that is good. That is the thing that is enough. The materialist rejects the cross because the thing that is really important is this world. Not the next world, but this world. That's why Paul says, Demas, having loved this present world, has left us. Having loved this present world, that's what happened to Judas. Judas, when he became convinced, I believe, that Jesus was not going to establish his kingdom on this earth and that he was going to die, decided to sell Jesus for 30 pieces of silver because his focus was on this world. There are those who see the cross as foolishness and therefore they reject the cross. You don't need it. It isn't necessary. It is foolishness. Just be religious. There are others who come to the cross and want to be neutral about it. I don't want to get involved in that. And see, that, that was Pilate's wife's advice to him. Matthew 27, 19 says, And while he, speaking of Pilate, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him saying, have nothing to do with that righteous man. She, she said to her husband, don't get involved in that. You know, that, that's not something in which you want to get involved. You just remain neutral about that. And Pilate tried to be neutral. The scripture says in Matthew 27, 24, and when Pilate saw that he was accomplishing nothing, but rather that a riot was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the multitude, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to that yourself. Pilate wanted to be neutral. Now, he had interrogated Jesus thoroughly, examined him, concluded that he had done nothing worthy of death. But then because that was not acceptable to the people who opposed it, he tried to be neutral, washing his hands, going through the Jewish ceremony. I have nothing to do with this. You do it. If you want to do it, you do it. But I, I'm not going to get involved in that. That was also the Roman soldiers who crucified Jesus. As far as they were concerned, they simply were carrying out orders. They were doing what they were told. After all, they were soldiers. They stripped him. They beat him. They spat upon him. They crucified him. But they would tell you that that really had nothing to do with them. They were, as far as they were concerned, were actually neutral in it, had nothing to do with it. And I would emphasize that because folk, probably many of you or some of you want to remain neutral concerning the cross. You know, I, I just don't want to get involved in that. I don't want to be involved in it. So there is an attempt to be neutral, which is an impossibility because a decision has to be made. Matthew 12, 30, Jesus said, he who is not with me is against me. He who is not with me is against me. There were three crosses at Calvary. There was the cross of redemption. That was the cross of Jesus. He became the sacrificial lamb, the lamb of Passover, the paschal lamb. We go back to the Passover and there was a lamb whose blood was shed and the blood put on the doorpost. When the death angel sees the blood, he'll pass over you. Jesus was the Passover lamb. 
Hebrews 2.9 says, But we do see him who has been made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor, that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. And folks, that is exactly what Jesus did on the cross. The wages of sin is death. And so the Bible says that Jesus died on the cross and he tasted death for everyone, everyone. Not just a segment of society, not just a special group of society, but the Bible says that he tasted death for everyone. He tasted death for you. He tasted death for me. He tasted death for all. There was a cross of redemption. Jesus died to redeem. There was a cross of rejection. One criminal rejected Jesus. You recall that there were three crosses, the cross of redemption. One of the thieves crucified by him rejected him. The Bible says in Luke 23, 39, and one of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. So there was one of the thieves being crucified, dying the same death that Jesus was dying. Sarcastically, he said, are you not supposed to be the Messiah? Aren't you the Messiah? I mean, that's what everybody says. That's what you say. You're dying because you're the Messiah? Well, if you're the Messiah, then why don't you save yourself? By the way, while you're saving yourself, save us too. It was a sarcastic response of rejection. But then there was a cross of reception. There was the other thief who was uh, being crucified alongside Jesus. And in Luke 23, 42, the Bible says, And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I have read oftentimes and love Hebrews chapter 11 and I read about the people of faith and I know people in the church who are people of faith but as far as I'm concerned the greatest display of faith to me was that man. Greatest faith. He was dying alongside Jesus who was dying and he said to him when you come into your kingdom he's dying. When you come into your kingdom, remember me. He received Christ. The cross requires a decision. And folks, you can reject, put it aside, I don't want anything to do with it. You can receive and let Jesus become your Savior, but you cannot be neutral. You cannot be neutral. He who is not with me is against me. The cross determines our destination, your decision. Your decision about the cross of Christ and Jesus' death on the cross will determine where you spend eternity. You can reject Jesus, you can reject his sacrifice, but that has consequences. And you need to understand, anytime you make a decision, you need to understand what the consequences are. So you can reject Christ and his sacrifice on the cross, but there are consequences. The thief who rejected Jesus was rejected by Jesus. He rejected Christ, therefore he was rejected. I mentioned earlier about the story of Lazarus and the rich man. And 
The Bible says that the rich man died, he went to a place of torment, went to a place of suffering, went to hell. You know, I've read that story many times. I don't see, I don't see that the rich man was a bad man. There's not anything in there to indicate that he was a bad man. My guess is he was a pretty good man, respected in the community and so forth. He was probably just too busy or he wanted to be neutral concerning spiritual things, just didn't want to get involved. And probably because of that, he never gave the time to have a relationship with God that he should. You see, we, we think oftentimes that only those people who are really bad go to hell. That's not what the scripture says. Those who go to hell are those who have not received Christ. That's what the scripture says. So the Bible says in Luke 16, 24, and he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue for I am in agony in this flame. So he didn't have time perhaps to consider spiritual things while he was on earth. So the Bible says that he died and went to hell. And from hell he prayed. Isn't it interesting that people who don't have time to pray here find time to pray there? Have mercy on me. Mercy was available to him, but he had rejected it or had not received it. And now he is crying out, have, have mercy on me. But his prayer was not answered. I just want you to understand that you can reject Christ, you can reject his sacrifice for you, and that is your right, but there is a consequence. There is a consequence. There is hell. Those who receive Christ have a home in heaven Jesus said to the repentant criminal who was dying alongside him, truly I say to you today, you shall be with me in paradise. The man who put faith in Jesus, dying the same death he was dying. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. At the cross, Christ was crucified. He died for our sins. The Bible says in Colossians 2.14, having canceled at the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us and was hostile to us and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. I love that verse of scripture because what it says is that all of my sins were placed on the cross and Jesus paid for them. Isn't that wonderful? That all of your sins, the big ones, the little ones, the in-between ones, the acceptable ones, the unacceptable ones, they were all put on the cross. Jesus paid for them. Having nailed them to the cross, and he paid for them. Christ was crucified. The law was satisfied. Jesus fulfilled the demands of the law. The Bible says in Luke 24, 44, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. You see, Jesus did not come to do away with the law. He came to fulfill the law, and he fulfilled it. 
The law was fulfilled when he died on the cross, so Christ was crucified. The law was satisfied. God was glorified. Because he kept the promise that he made to Adam that he would provide a sacrifice for man's sin. In Genesis chapter 3, verse number 15, we see for the first time the promise that God was going to provide a sacrifice, that he would provide a savior for the sins of man. That was fulfilled. God had promised it, it was fulfilled. God was glorified, man was justified. In Romans chapter 3, verse number 28, for we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. My friend, if you are going to be justified before God, it is going to be by faith in Jesus Christ, not according to the law. If you think you can make yourself acceptable to God by your religion, that is contrary to the teaching of Scripture. If you think you can deserve the blessings of God, that is contrary to Scripture. Nothing in my hand I bring, only to thy cross I cling, says the song. The cross determines our destination. Where you spend eternity will be determined by what you do with the crucified Christ. Now let me conclude. I have been to Golgotha many times. And my heart is always touched by it. As I stand there and think that Jesus died on the cross for me. And sometimes can almost hear the word, to tell us die, it is finished. What was finished? He had fulfilled his responsibility. My salvation was finished. He paid for it. He provided it. Well, what does it all mean? What does the cross mean? Well, it's a testimony of his lordship. Jesus died not because he claimed to be Christ, uh, to be God. He was God. He is God. He is the word made flesh. It is a testimony of his love. Max Lucado wrote, God sat in silence while the sins of the world were placed upon his son. Was it right? No. Was it fair? No. Was it love? Yes. In a world of injustice, God once and for all tipped the scales in favor of hope. I have heard so many times people say, well, I believe that all roads lead to God. If you're on the Christian road, leads to God. The Jew, the Muslim, the Hindu, the Buddhist, all roads lead to God. That's true. No matter what road you travel, you're going to end up before God. 
One day you are going to stand before God. All roads lead to God. But only the cross leads to heaven. You are going to stand before God one day just as I. But the only way to heaven is through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Have you ever received him? Because he loves you so much he died for you. He loves you so much he gave his life that you might have life. And provided for you forgiveness and heaven if you receive him. No one's going to heaven because they're a Baptist. No one's going to heaven because they've been baptized. No one's going to heaven because they tithe. No one's going to heaven because they attend Sunday school. We only go to heaven because we have committed our lives in faith to Jesus Christ. That is the only way. Do you know him? It's my prayer today that you do not leave here without a commitment of your life to Christ. Our Father in God, we come to extend an invitation on your behalf. Praying, Lord, for those who have never committed their lives to you that today they would do so in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to stand. The choir is going to sing a hymn of invitation. If you have never committed your life to Christ, would you today? It's your decision. You can't be neutral. Would you today? If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. We'd love to have you as a part of our family. Stand with me, please. As we stand, they sing, you come. I'll greet you as you do. Just